good day to you. I'm Carl Falk. This is the Falcon Around Podcast. It's a football Friday edition. We are doing this little fun thing twice a week now for your listening pleasure. Pass on the word. Get the word out there that we are doing this. Always love talking football on a Friday. You get the Thursday night game to discuss, the weekend's games, college football, and right now, of course, Major League Baseball. We've just seen the first round of the playoffs, the wild card round going on. We're also seeing basketball. The Lakers have a 1-0 lead, so we got all that on the docket. And who knows what else I'll get into. I might even mention that the president has COVID. Well, I just did mention that. So, yeah, we'll see how that works out. Um, I guess the one surprising thing about that to me was, you know, generally if you're socially distant from people, you don't get it. So not only does President Trump have it, but his wife Melania has it as well. And I never thought they were within like 100 feet of each other unless there was a camera there. Never seen a more awkward couple in my life than those two. But, hey, whatever makes you happy or brings you profits, whatever it takes. But, yeah, we'll talk football. We won't talk politics. It's just one of those observations that I like to share. Last night, Thursday night football, Barn burner. <laughs> you know, it's it's funny when you look at the Thursday night games and you look at the schedule, and there there's some bad games early on, and those are the NFL network games. If you look at the schedule, the way the NFL does things, the more you pay for what you're broadcasting, so CBS, what they pay, and Fox, what they pay, NBC for the Sunday night games, ESPN now really ponying up for the Monday night games, the NFL Network is their own entity. So the crappy games and, the, hey, we got to get them on TV once, guys, those games go on Thursday night when it's NFL Network home. And now that Fox is going to pick up those Thursday games, all of a sudden it's a much better broadcast. But last night, winless teams, Jets and Broncos, going at it on the awful turf in the Meadowlands. The Jets improved to 0-4 last night. They lost the game and improved to 0-4, and, and I do mean that. The Broncos, they, they didn't improve. They're now 1-3 with the win last night. And last night's game set the tone for this weekend because it was bad football, bad quarterbacking, and I'm not just talking about Brett Rippon, the rookie who made his first start for Denver. I'm talking about Sam Darnold, too. Sam Darnold is the guy that everyone loved coming out of USC. As a guy who watches a lot of West Coast football, Watch a lot of USC football. Sam Darnold is the same quarterback he is now that he was at USC. There are things, and you saw it last night with a couple throws that he made, the 46-yard the touchdown run, you're like, man, this guy has so much ability. But as you watch him over a period of time, his inaccuracy comes up, his decision-making is horrible, his footwork is terrible in the pocket, and the Jets' offensive line and wide receivers don't help him at all. The Jets need to blow it up. If they haven't already, they need to blow it up. Adam Gase apparently is not getting fired, which is probably the worst news for Sam Darnold going forward. Because, again, Darnold, I think, can be a serviceable NFL quarterback. He'll never be a stud. He'll never be a guy that you look at and, and maybe is a leader of a big-time team. I think the high for the ceiling right now for Sam Darnold is Ryan Tannehill. And, and similarly to Tannehill, 
He got out from under Gase, goes elsewhere, and all of a sudden he's showing he can play the position. The Jets, with their new GM, Joe Douglas, who was forced to take Gase because Gase was hired first and never understood why you hire a coach before you hire a GM. But that's what the Johnsons did a couple of years ago. With Joe Douglas not having been the guy to draft Sam Darnold, there's no doubt to me that after this year, if the Jets are in position to, and I think they will be, to select either Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields, the, US, the Ohio State quarterback, they do that. They've got another first-round pick that they got from the Jamal Adams trade with Seattle, but that'll be a late first-round pick. They then move Sam Darnold to a team, Pittsburgh, Steelers, need a quarterback behind Ben, sit a year or two behind Ben, learn some things, and then come back and show what you can do. I I think that that makes a lot of sense. You send Juju Smith-Schuster and maybe a second and a third back or a second, something like that. And if you're the Jets, you look at it and you go, okay, now I've got my new young quarterback, Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields. I've got Juju. That's a good thing to start. I've got a couple other picks that I can build an offensive line. Mekhi Becton's a real deal. He's fine. He's hurt, but he's fine. The rest of that offensive line has got to go. That was terrible performance. And not to just sit here and pile on the Jets, but anyone who hires Greg Williams gets what you saw last night. The Greg Williams coaching experience means we're going to hit the quarterback as hard and as often as we can. Penalties be damned, and who cares if somebody gets hurt? That's Greg Williams. Six personal foul calls last night in the game against the Jets. They had 11 penalties overall. This is just embarrassing. You know, Between the Jets and the Giants and what is the biggest media market in the world, why would anyone watch a football game? Fortunately, New York State has only one football team. There's only one football team that practices and plays. And their tax dollars go to the state of New York. That is the Buffalo Bills. And fortunately for New York State people, maybe not New York City people, but, well, they're cheering for Jersey teams. There's a very good football team in New York, the only football team in New York. Embarrassment last night for the Jets. Brett Rippon was nice at times. He went through a rough patch, through a pick six, through a couple interceptions. But for your first overall start, going against a Jets defense that's hell-bent on ripping your head off, I thought he handled himself well. Melvin Gordon did well. The nice run to seal it at the end gets a block from Rippon. It was a good play, and it was a good experience. But Vic Fangio, the Broncos coach, was so upset by the way the Jets were coming after Rippon at the end of that game. No handshake, straight to the locker room. Now, he shrugged it off saying there was enough bad feelings between the players and didn't want anything to happen, so he's just trying to get his players to the locker room. Yeah, okay, Vic, I don't believe you at all. What you wanted to say you knew would have been a bad thing, so you got your ass to the locker room smartly. The Jets are an embarrassment, and it's unfortunate. And, you know, with the Bills having to play them yet again in a couple weeks, that's got to be a big win. That's got to be an easy win for the Bills. Bills this week go on the road, go out to the desert, first trip ever to Las Vegas, second Raiders game in that new stadium in Vegas. This is, look, there's a lot of things that remind us 
right now that things just aren't the same, not having fans. But this game in particular is where I'll really miss the fans. Yes, Thursday night, the KC game in a couple weeks would be an unbelievable atmosphere. Bills Mafia would come out in mass. But to see the number of Bills fans in the stands in Vegas, it would be unreal. And it would just be one of those things like where which road game you go to everyone was going to go to vegas to see the bills that was going to be a huge huge road trip bills are favored by three on the road and shows the respect of vegas not the raiders the bookies are giving them the over-under is 52 and a half which also shows the respect the offense is given by vegas however it shows the lack of respect of the bills defense right now as well david carr Raiders quarterback has been very good, 71% of his passes, averaging about 250 yards a game. He's not lighting it up. He's captain check down, six touchdowns. He's without most of his good receivers, his best receivers, runs us out, the rookie out of Alabama. Hunter Renfro, though, keep an eye on this guy because he is always open guy. He's 7'11", and Carr, I think, is going to feed him the ball time and time again this week in that short to mid-range passing game. And I think what the Rams showed the league last week about the Bills' defense is they struggle to cover on those type of routes. That zone defense, without pressure, is going to give opportunities to the quarterback. The Raiders' offensive line is very good. I think the Bills will struggle to pressure Carr, Josh Jacobs, is a battering ram. I expect him to have 100 yards against the Bills' defense. And Darren Waller, here's the matchup of the game for me. Darren Waller against Matt Milano. Milano played last week and played well, coming back from injury. He now will likely have most of the assignment on Darren Waller, who's an absolute freak of an athlete and a great young tight end. If the Bills can contain Waller, that means that Renfro is going to have to be the guy to beat him through the passing game. And if that's the case, I like the Bills' chances of limiting the opportunities. But I need to see a lot more from this Bills' defense. Tremaine Edmonds has got to be better. He's absolutely – I know he's been dinged up, but he's got to be better. Jacobs is a guy who can hurt you. He's got 252 yards of three touchdowns in the first three games. Averaging about 85 yards a game, that's solid. And I would expect him to continue that against the Bills. If Edmonds is right, then I think the Bills can do a better job this week against the run than they did in the past. Now, Josh Allen has gotten a tremendous amount of publicity over the last couple weeks and accolades, AFC Player of the Month for the month of September, and he's earned every bit of it. He's got to continue. He's got to continue against a team that's building a defense based on speed. And the Raiders' speed defense can be affected by some misdirections, some different things. John Brown looks like he's going to be good to go. So I think that helps the Bills a lot, that three-headed monster that they have with Diggs, Beasley, and Brown. Now you throw Gabriel Davis in there when you go four wide. It's a really dangerous and difficult passing attack to defend. The offensive line needs to be stout. And Motor Singletary needs to continue to get the ball. I'm not sure if Zach Moss is going to go this morning. McDermott said he's seen signs of improvement. 
but did not commit to him playing. So I think that means you're going to see, again, T.J. Yeldon backing up Devin Singletary. And frankly, I'm fine with that because Singletary is a guy who can do a lot of good things to help your team. This, in my opinion, can't be a game that the Bills' offense carries the defense. I like the Bills this week, but I think it's tough. And I'm picking it to be a 31-28 game. I think the Bills will have a very difficult time slowing down the Raiders' offense. Gruden and Carr seem to be working in sync pretty well. i got to throw this out there. If Derek Carr gets hit, gets hurt, misses a play, Bills legend Nate Peterman is the backup quarterback. That's all I need. Bring me Nate Peterman because watching him play and watching McDermott long for his guy, you know that that's the biggest question I'll ever have with Sean McDermott. Uh, yeah, Mike Tolbert, I didn't understand that. Patrick DeMarco, that love affair, I didn't understand. But how can you evaluate Nate Peterman and send him out there and think this guy's good? I, I, I really don't understand it. And, and it's not just about the games. If you went out to Fisher and watched training camp and you watched this guy in camp, you could see he wasn't good in camp. It wasn't a surprise when he wasn't good in games. He wasn't good anywhere. And yet, somehow, he's still on a roster, and John Gruden loves him, too. I don't know what Nate Peterman does. Must be the best guy ever, because he fools good coaches into thinking he's a good player. The biggest story in the NFL this week has been the Tennessee Titans and their COVID-positive test. As of this morning, two more players have been tested positive. That means seven players, six staffers. Now, the Steeler-Titan game for this week has been canceled. Likely it'll be moved back to week seven. They can move a few things around, push a Ravens, I think it's a Ravens-Titans game, to week eight. Steelers-Titans play week seven, and it works out all right. But the bigger story to me is, okay, this is still going. It's still spreading, and now we're up to seven players. And with the Bills being the team that plays in Tennessee next weekend, you look at this and you think, man, I'm not sure that game's going to go on. And that's a big deal because the Bills and Titans, to, to try to make up two games, it's going to be very difficult. Remember, when the NFL set the schedule up, they did not build extra bye weeks into their schedule. I, I thought they should have put a double bye week for each team. Each team gets one early, one, one late, and figure out a way to buy a little bit of time. This is the NFL's worst case example of what could go wrong because if the Titans, if they miss this week and it looks like they're going to miss next week too potentially against the Bills, I'm not sure how the NFL handles that. I don't know how they get that back on track. So something certainly to keep an eye on if you're a Bills fan going forward. But the Titans, they, they just need to get through this. It's kind of like with the Marlins in baseball. They had to get through it. Once they did, they were fine, come back and play. And that's what the NFL approach has got to be. Unfortunately, the NFL approach is not wrought with the ability to put games in here and there. So I'm not sure how this is going to work out. Some other big games this weekend that I'm looking forward to. 
Colts and the Bears this weekend. I still don't know if the Colts are real. I mean, they're a good team. Phillip Rivers is an improvement over Jacoby Brissett, certainly. I still don't believe in Phillip Rivers at this stage of his career. I love the Colts' offensive line. I think that's why Rivers has been so positive with his statistics so far. But overall, I want to see the Colts challenged, and I don't really think I've seen that yet. For the Bears, they're 3-0, and and nobody believes in them. But now that they've got Nick Foles there, I think that's one of those things that this is what Nick Foles does. You don't want him as your starter. But if he's your backup and takes over, you're probably going to the playoffs. And Nick Foles is that guy. And I, I think that the Bears now at 3-0, they're, they're going to be a tough team to knock out of the playoffs with Foles in the start that they've gotten. So that should be a good one, too. The Ravens versus the Washington team football. I know it's Washington football team, but I like Washington team football better because then I can call it WTF because that's what I think about the Redskins. Here's the thing. Lamar Jackson did not play well on Monday night. The Redskins have, I'm sorry, the WTF have an excellent young defense. Now, Chase Young is out this week. It's unfortunate because the kid's an absolute beast. But what I find intriguing about this matchup is this is going to definitely be a bounce back for Lamar Jackson. But the defense of the, of the Washington football team is their strength. If Lamar bounces back this week. It's impressive. If he doesn't bounce back this week, it's understandable. I mean, if he doesn't throw up huge numbers, it's understandable because that defense is that good. So let's see what happens there. pair of 0-3 teams with a lot better expectations than their star are the Vikings and Texans, both of which 0-3. Just not the way either of them drew this up. One team's going to be 0-4, and that team's done. And if it's the Texans, and I talked about this a little bit in the podcast on Tuesday, Bill O'Brien has mortgaged the future for the present. And if this present starts 0-4, man, how, how do you keep paying that guy? you got to hire a GM and a coach and hope to get out from under the mess that he left you in. So that's a huge, huge game. And Kirk Cousins has not been playing well. I know the Vikings offensive line – Hasn't been solid, but there's enough skill players there in Minnesota to get it done. That defense isn't what I thought it was going to be at all. Browns play the Cowboys this week, and Baker Mayfield's polarizing, maybe the single most polarizing player in the NFL. I expect Baker Mayfield to put up huge numbers this week. If you have Odell Beckham Jr., play him because that Cowboys secondary is terrible. With the exception of Alden Smith, who hasn't played since I was like a junior in high school because of personal problems, the Cowboys can't generate a pass rush either. They can't stop the run because their defensive tackles are terrible. They're missing two starting linebackers, so the linebacker play is not good. They don't have good safeties and corners anyway, so it's just a terrible defense. And while everyone's looking at Dak Prescott and saying, yeah, do better. You got to throw the ball with, you can't turn it over. Ezekiel Elliott's struggling. You've lost both of your tackles. Your center retired. Those three are all pro players. You've got a free agent at right tackle. Last week at the end of the game, you moved your starting center to right guard. 
your right guard to right tackle and you start, put a rookie center in because that was your best option. Cowboys are a mess. Everyone looks at the wide receivers, Zeke, Dak, and they should be great. You start looking at this, it is not not a good thing right now because of the injuries, specifically on the offensive side of the ball. The Cowboys are in trouble. This is a must-win game. And again, I think that the Browns and Baker Mayfield have a big, big day Sunday there. Patrick Mahomes versus Bill Belichick is enough to get me to tune in the TV. Uh, Patrick Mahomes on Monday night was just spectacular. And face it, he has been for the last two and a half years. But with Belichick, he's going to take away what you do best. So the question to me is, what do the Chiefs do best? You know, if you, if you think about it, anytime you face your opponent, whatever they're best at, we'll stop that and we'll let the second best beat us. Okay, you're going to take away Tyree Kill? Then Travis Kelsey crushes you. All right, you're going to take those two away. That means you can run the ball with Clyde Edwards-Alaire, and you can also throw it deep to McCall Hardman across the middle of Sammy Watkins. They are so multifaceted offensively that I don't know what Belichick is going to look to stop. So I think that's going to be a chess match and a fun thing to watch within that game. The other side of the coin is Cam Newton has that offense a different look, but playing well. And the Chiefs' defense, especially that front seven, they get after you a bit. And I'm intrigued to see that matchup as well. I think this has a chance to be a really, really interesting football game. Maybe not a high-scoring one, but it's, to me, it's one of two things. It's either the Chiefs blowing the Patriots out 37-14, to 14, something like that, or this is a 21-17 game, whoever has it last gets the win. You know, here, here's another team, the Eagles. They, they played for a tie last week. Carson Wentz seems to be regressing terribly. Remember, Wentz was awful for three quarters of the year last year, and then the last quarter of the year played some of the best football of his young career. So there was a lot of optimism of what he would do. Then, of course, the Eagles go out and they decide to draft Jalen Hurts. And you're like, wow, that's a strange draft pick to go get when you've got a young quarterback to draft a quarterback in the first round. The 49ers, they're banged up, but they're still very good. I think that this week, if we see Carson Wentz struggle again and not play well through maybe two and a half quarters, maybe Jalen Hurts gets a shot. And if that's the case, who knows what the trickle-down effect could come from there. And then the Monday nighter, Atlanta, Green Bay. and you know Green Bay's been great. Aaron Rodgers playing excellent football. Looks like he's having fun buying into LaFleur's system. Aaron Williams running the ball so well. Aaron Jones running the ball so well. It's a fun time to be a Packer fan. If you're a Falcon fan, you have less hair than me because you pulled all the rest of it out. This very well may be Dan Quinn's goodbye piece because if they get blown out or embarrassed again on Monday Night Football, eventually Arthur Blanks is going to have to make a change. And I think the change is coming. I just, it's a matter of when. Similarly with Adam Gase. But we may see the first coach of the year go after this one. And frankly, as good as the Falcons offense can be, I just don't think it's good enough to offset 
the lack of defense that they have. And if you remember, Dan Quinn is a defensive guy. When your head coach is specializing on one side of the ball and that side of the ball is terrible, to me that's a reflection on the head coach. And I think Dan Quinn, having lost so many close games, this is just not a good thing. And we'll see where it goes from here. But, yeah, very, very well could be his swan song in Atlanta. Major League Baseball, the playoffs have been really good. If you don't like the San Diego Padres, you're probably my age or, or older because the Padres have some fun. Last night, Fernando Tatis Jr., pair of home runs, epic bat flip after the second one. It was just great. These guys are having fun playing baseball. What's wrong with that? To me, there's nothing wrong with that. It's going to be fun today. They play the Cardinals. It's a move-on game for them. The, the crazy thing so far to me about the playoffs was the first night the Indians and Yankees played. The rain that came in in that game, they started the game, and by the bottom of the first inning, it is pouring. Not for nothing. If you're a Major League Baseball team or a groundskeeper or an umpire, there's a thing called radar. You know, A lot of TV stations say they have Doppler radar. must be even better. I don't know what that means. But radar will show you when it's going to rain. So a smart person can look and go, huh, going to rain here in about 10 minutes. How about this? How about you delay the game before it starts to allow for that just torrential downpour to come through and then start the game? When you have a rain delay before the first inning's out, you should have never have started the game. Ridiculous. Well, the Yankees got what they needed from Garrett Cole. Cole was fantastic. You pay $320 million for a guy, you expect him to go out and dominate in the playoffs. It's exactly what Garrett Cole did. He was throwing BBs, had the hook working, struck out 14. I don't think he walked anybody. Just a dominant performance. The bats were the story as well for the Yankees as they advanced because you had a home run from Judge, a meaningless home run from Stanton. Labor Torres was ripping the cover off it. You know, Torres is a guy who... I think is the Yankees' best player. He didn't have a good year this year. And there are going to be a lot of guys, when we look back at 2020, and you say, man, he had a terrible year. Well, when you have a 60-game season, that's kind of like a third of a regular season. There's very little time to come out of a slump. And the thought of a 60-game season, man, if I don't get it going fast, you know, I – they put more pressure on themselves. I think there's going to be a lot of guys who have bad years this year that next year and for the rest of their careers, those are going to level off and we're going to see that success. And I think Labor Torres is certainly one of them. The Yankees advanced to play the Rays. So this is going to be good. It's going to be a lot of fun because these two teams, they do not like each other at all. They, these teams have some bad blood. And, Frankly, you could thank Aroldis Chapman for that. He decides to go headhunting in a meaningless regular season game, sending a message. It was crap. And he deserved his suspension. He deserved a longer one. They didn't, of course, get it because they didn't have time to go through the process in this season. But what he did guaranteed the Rays 
their manager, their, their, everyone in that clubhouse knows what this, what's at stake, but they also know, don't forget what a role this Chapman did to him. I, I said this about the Rays the other day when we were talking about how they play. And they just seem to do everything right. They play great defense. They, they take the extra base. They put the ball in play. They hit behind guys. They, they play the game of baseball the proper way. To me, this is going to be a fun series because you've got some big arms on the Tampa Bay side, guys like Glass now, and, of course, Blake Snell. And on the Yankees side, you got a bunch of bashers. How does it play out? Does the waiting for the three-run homer win out, or does the you know death by 100 paper cuts win out? Different side, different ways of playing the game. Going to be a fun series, and the fact that they hate each other is even better. I saw something yesterday that I was shocked at, and I don't know what the hell baseball is thinking. Look, I'm a baseball fan, so you don't have to get me to watch the games. I'm, I'm enjoying them anyway. But baseball is always trying to find new fans and get new fans. And, you know, it's every sport you, you want to raise your fans. You want more money, more eyeballs on your sport. Uh, eyeballs equal money. They, yesterday, decided to mic up players during the game. The A's center fielder, Lariano, was mic'd up. And I was like, wait, they're talking to him during the game. Look, spring training, you do that, and, and, and it's fun. And the guys are relaxed, they're talking, they're having a good time. This is the playoffs, man. You don't mic up guys during the playoffs. Justin Turner was mic'd up last night for the Dodgers, and his manager did not like it at all. And I just don't understand what Major League Baseball is trying to accomplish by doing this. Because to me, for the eyeballs you attract, the integrity of the game takes a bigger hit because it makes it seem like you don't have to concentrate. It's just a baseball game. You can talk. You can have a good time. I didn't like that at all, and I, I really hope there's not going to be more of it. Even though I enjoy the conversations, I just I think it really hurts the game or maybe the perception of the game. College football certainly is back with the SEC playing a couple good games this weekend. Auburn, Georgia. This may be an elimination game. I mean, if we get to the finish line and we have a four or eighteen playoff, this is big because you know both these teams are going to end up playing Alabama at some point as well. So you know somebody's going to end up with two losses because I think Bama beats generally both of them. But this ought to be a really good one this weekend. Of course, last week Mississippi State and Mike Leach had their first game in the SEC. And they threw for almost 550 yards against LSU. This week they play Arkansas at home. Interested to see, is this going to be a regular occurrence now? Is Mike Leach's offense that good in the SEC that we're going to see the yards and points on the scoreboard week in, week out? It's a different deal than what the SEC has been used to for a long time. I mentioned Alabama earlier. They got a pretty tough game this week. They're at home, but Texas A&M goes into Tuscaloosa. That is a tough one. And one other team I wanted to mention, Oklahoma, had big aspirations before this year. 
Well, they play Iowa State this week. This is a game, and it's at Iowa State. This is a game that Oklahoma absolutely has to win. They cannot afford a loss. And the Cyclones, every now and then, rear their head up and upset somebody. Not saying it's going to happen. Just saying it's got to be care. You got to be careful if you're Oklahoma. So good, good slate of college football this weekend. Still not all the way there because the Big Ten's not back yet. The Pac-12 is not back. But at least there's enough on a Saturday afternoon that you can sit down in front of the TV and enjoy watching your games. The NBA bubble is coming to an end. Game one of the finals has gone on. And, you know, it, w- it was a fun game to watch initially. He came out very strong. And then the Lakers went on a run. I think they outscored the Heat something like 78 to 39, something like that through from the second quarter to the fourth quarter. The Heat got on a little bit of a run at the end to close it to like 15. But that was Laker domination. And the matchup I was really looking forward to was Anthony Davis against Bam Adebayo. And Bam is a great young player, but he got injured his shoulder. He should be good to go in game two. But that's a big injury. But the bigger injury to me and the bigger factor going forward is Goran Dragic. He tore a planter a planter thing in his foot. Now, I know plantar fasciitis. This is worse than that. Plantar fasciitis, if you've ever had it, it sucks. It's so painful. So for this injury to be worse than plantar fasciitis, it's a tear of the planter. It's got to be that much worse. So Drogic being out, I think that's a huge, huge blow to the Heat because his ability to shoot, to create offense for others by his penetration, it puts more pressure on the young guards, Duncan Robinson, Tyler Hero. I think Hero's a guy who's got to really step up. Jimmy Butler had a nice game one, but he also turned his ankle. He's going against LeBron. LeBron it's just a tough matchup for anybody. And, you know, he's so physical, he's so big and strong that anybody who covers him is going to take a beating. Jimmy Butler's strong enough to hang in there and do it. But if he's working that hard defensively, likely his offense is going to struggle. So not a good outlook for the Heat. But, again, there's six more games to be played. It's just looking at the injuries Looking at the matchups, I think it's a very long road to hoe going forward. Doc Rivers was amazingly fired by the Clippers. I don't, I don't understand that. And I look, there's a lot of times you look at a team that didn't achieve what they thought they should. They move on from a coach, and who are you going to bring in who's going to do a better job with that group than Doc Rivers? I, I really don't know who you're going to bring in unless. Popovich wants out of San Antonio, and I doubt that. There isn't a guy I'd probably rather have coaching that group than Doc Rivers. But whatever it is, it is. Doc now looks like he's going to Philly. And, you know, you look at the Sixers, and you've got Joel Embiid. you got Simmons. These two guys don't seem to mesh. One of them's got to go. And I know you don't trade superstars. I don't think either of them are superstars. I really don't. I, I just... I don't see it yet for either. I think they're both very good players. I think they're too young and too immature to be great. And I don't know that 
either of them have improved enough since they've come in the league to take that next big step. So while Doc to Philly is a good thing, it's a good coach, I really think the general manager who goes there and decides which one of those two he's going to keep and which one he's going to move and what he gets for the PC moves, that to me is the more important conversation. So good stuff with the Sixers should be interesting because I think the Celtics make some changes this offseason. I think they move a couple pieces to try to retool. So the Eastern Conference still next year will be wide open yet again. You know, I was thinking this too. Hockey just ended. Basketball's got another week left. Traditionally, here we are, first week of October. The NHL is dropping puck, starting their season. The NBA's in camp, and they're going to start real soon. There is no plan for next year. And how do they do it? My personal opinion is, and I think it would be great for the sport, is that both leagues need to go from 82 to about 50 games. If you do that, if you back off, and I know people, well, the revenue, there's nobody going to the games anyway. So you start in maybe January or early February and you go to June, that way, hopefully, the following year you can get back on track. Let's face it, this year is going to cause a couple years to be out of whack. How you get it back closest to where you want it is the real question. And I also think you go to eight, from 82 to 50 games, the games are a hell of a lot more important. It's not quite as bastardized as baseball was. Baseball was a 60-game season, so it's basically about a third this would still be more than a half of a regular season. And if you look back to the strike year when the NBA did go to 50 games, that was one of the best regular seasons the league ever had. So I'm very intrigued to see where it goes from here. The NHL draft, of course, coming up. How do they decide when they're going to start, how many games they're going to play, and how they're going to manage it? going to be very interesting. And here in Rochester, side note on this, With the uncertainty of what I just talked about with the NHL, there's also the uncertainty of the AHL. And while the Pagoulas run Blue Cross Arena badly, COVID's got nothing to do with how badly they've managed that arena. But I'm intrigued to see if the AHL comes back, when it's going to come back. And here locally, if you're the Pagoulas – this is coming from me. I, I would think this way. If there are no fans, which there won't be, if there are no fans and you're only playing a limited number of games, why not keep the Amherst in Buffalo, play the games at Harbor Center, and save the money on having two sites? You only need then one athletic training staff because they're right there. You only need one practice facility. You'd save a ton of money because you're cutting your expenses in half. And if that happens, I fear for the Amherst coming back. Just throwing it out there because it's one of those things that I think about. And, again, the Pagoulas, they're all about money. And right now they're looking for ways to save money because they have not had a very good financial year and a half. So they need to do better financially. Is it 
worth the negative backlash? Maybe not, but I'm sure they'll figure that out. But let's see where it goes. Just something to plant a seed, keep an eye on it as we get to where, hopefully, there's a season coming up. Instacart is our friends, and they can be your friends as well. If you click the show notes, you can get your first order for over $35 free by just using us. So we can help you get groceries in as fast as one hour. Click on the show notes. Free first order over $35 in groceries in as fast as one hour, and you have nothing to do other than click, 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 click. And that's very easy to do. That's all. Enjoy the weekend. Have a great time watching football. Hope the Bills go to 4-0, but we'll talk about it on Tuesday. I'm Carl Falk. This is the Falcon Around Podcast.